Well, good morning to you. I hope everything has been good and it's been a wonderful week for you. It's been an exciting week. And as we say, God is good. And I hope that you've experienced the goodness of the Lord throughout this week. And I pray that you will continue to experience the goodness of our God. Well, we have started on this subject or two weeks ago on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and we're going to pick back up on that. Last week I had some problems with the computer and I didn't get the message through. And um, this week I laid hands on this computer and prayed over it. Asked God to allow it to function the way it should function. So we're hoping that's going to truly take place. And that uh, this message will get to the proper people it need to get to and then it will get out to you. So I'm praying that everything will work well this week. But we're on this subject of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> and of Jesus. And oftentimes when it comes to Jesus being human and being God can be a very confusing issue. And oftentimes we use that as an excuse with our sin that we sin because we're not God. We're not Jesus, and and uh, and uh, uh, we compare ourselves that way that we're not Him, and that's a true statement. In a sense, we're not Him, but He is us in a sense in the human capacity. He took on a real human body. It was not a super 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 body. It was a flesh and blood. He bled. He hungered. He thirsted, he felt pain, he cried, he rejoiced, and he, know what, he knew what rejection felt like. He had a human body that could be tempted in every way in which we ourselves are tempted. And yet, he was without sin. And the questions have to be asked, why? If he was truly in a human body. And then we see, oh yeah, Jesus, he calms the storm. Jesus speaks to the wind and it cease. Uh, Jesus can speak to the dead and they rise. Jesus can speak to the blind and they receive sight. Uh, Jesus can speak to the lame and they're walking. And we compare him in that fashion and say what we can't do. The issue boils down to this. While in this body, by whose power or what power, did Jesus use? And I think that's an important question for us to answer. That if he used his divine power and we don't have divine power, then we can't do what Jesus did did, nor can we live as Jesus lived. Charles Stanley, I was watching one of his old sermons, and Charles Stanley asked this question. Can you live one minute without sinning? And then he went to three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. But on the first time, only four people and his congregation raised his hand and he had to chuckle too that only four people could live for one minute without sinning. We have been given the Spirit of God to be able to live life. Not sinless, but living without a sinful mind, living for good gaps of time without sinning. And I know somebody's going to say, well, you sin in thought. 
true. But he also tells bring every thought under the captivity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the moment that thought hits, I don't have to follow through with that thought or act upon that thought. I can stop that thought even in its tracks if I put it under the Lord Jesus Christ and obey the word of God. But Jesus, I believe in scripture and what we're going to look at, was also very dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And that he's our example in everything. And if he's our example in everything, then he is also our example of yielding to the Spirit of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through him as the Holy Spirit will also then work through us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know in St. John's chapter 1, it said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we believe that that Word is Jesus Christ, and that he was with God in the beginning. But there's nothing said here about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was before creation was ever formed. He was also with the Father, with the Son, in the very beginning, as we would think of beginning. And with God, there is no beginning, there is no end. But the Holy Spirit is there. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. And look at 1 and 2. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Oh. God. Created the heavens and the earth. God. Well, in Colossians, it says that Jesus Christ created everything. So Jesus Christ has to be here. But look at verse 2 now. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there. In the time of creation, the Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit's there. He didn't come on the scene just when the Old Testament started. He didn't come on the scene when the New Testament started. The Holy Spirit is God, eternal. There was the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in the beginning. When you turn over to verse 26 in chapter 1, It says, then God said, let us. There's no men, no women, no children. Humanity has not been created. But look what God says. God said, let us make man in our image. He uses the word us and the word our image. Not talking about the image of angels or anything. Talking about the image of God. And that's what man is made of the image of God in the beginning. And he says, let us make man in our image. And let him rule. So we're made in the image of God, in the image of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are made in the image of God. Now, Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully God. Can't say it any better than that. 
Now somebody might say, well, prove that. This is a book of faith. If you accept it, God reveals himself. And one day, all this will be totally, totally revealed to us. And we will see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one God. But it's the Holy Spirit that somehow empowers our life that we might live pleasing unto God and we might live this Christian life. If Jesus Christ <clears throat> is our example in everything, then he is also our example of how to allow the Spirit of God to function in our lives and how the Holy Spirit will work in us and through us. He's that example. And again, I will say to you, and you will hear me say it throughout this, you cannot live the Christ-like life or the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to live the Christ life. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit that empowered the life of Jesus because he put on this fleshly body formed in the womb of a woman and came forth as a man. He was in the womb for probably nine months most likely just like normal birth. The only difference with his birth that no man was involved but the woman was involved. And this fleshly body was knitted together. And we say, boy, it's that's hard to accept. That's hard to accept. But yet, that is what takes place even with us. If we go back to Psalms 139 for a moment, <clears throat> listen to what the psalmist says. For you created my innermost being, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Psalms 139, verse 13. You knitted me together. Christ was knitted together by the Holy Spirit while in the womb of Mary. Not a super body. But a body like ours, again, that would hunger and thirst, that would know pain, that would have the emotions that we have, but yet all under the control of the Holy Spirit. All under control of the Holy Spirit. Now, from the very beginning of Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit is involved. Go to Luke chapter 1, 35. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Because <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is involved here in every part of the life of Jesus. And it says in 35... Luke 1, 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In the womb of Mary, 
go back to that Psalms 139, being knitted together while in the mother's womb, Jesus is knitted together with this human body. I can't explain every detail of it. But if I say with scripture, he was knitted together with this human body while in the womb of Mary and came forth as a male child. We see him at his birth. But the thing about even before his birth, it is announced, and the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit is once again here now, involved in this creation of this human body part in which God would indwell. And he would be called the Son of God. Because there's no fleshly man being involved in this at all. Now, <clears throat> we don't see Jesus again, in a sense, from the time that he's born. And we know he was over uh, as a child, mom, they traveled to Bethlehem, this and that. We have this little bit of information about him as a baby. But in verse 46... Let me get there. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 46. It says, After three days, and the custom was, if we read up a little bit beforehand, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, so for 12 years, Jesus had been going up to Jerusalem from his birth back to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem for the Passover. <clears throat> so he was taught very much in the Jewish religion, the Jewish mindset. But there's something else that's taking place also. Now the Holy Spirit is not mentioned, but let me be Mindful here. Jesus is acting as the normal J Jewish individual, and, and Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, are taking him with them every year up to the Passover. Um, they are participating in the Jewish religion, in a sense, and he's learning it. But something else is taking place also. So when we get down in verse 46 of chapter 2, he says, When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. They had already taken off, if you read the rest of the story here. They've, on their way back home, found out Jesus was not among the caravan, and they had to go back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among teachers. Wait a minute, 12-year-old, sitting among scholars or teachers, listening to them, but catch this now, and asking them questions. I don't know if they had the answers to the questions. He was listening to them. And I imagine that they were educating him in the Jewish religion and in the Old Testament. But yet, they themselves may not have had full understanding of it. And, and yet, Jesus here is asking them questions. Then it says, everyone who heard him was amazed. What caused that amazement? I want to suggest to you the Holy Spirit speaking through Jesus, asking the questions, answering, and teaching. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to teach him. 
to teach him. To teach him. And if you're really born, if you are really born again, if you really are born from above, not from a church service, not not from uh, mom and dad, or, or you just kneeling down and 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 saying the sinner's prayer or doing what people are instructing you to do, but if you are truly born from above by the Holy Spirit, He's going to teach you. And it says, everyone in that verse 4, it says, everyone who was in that temple who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. They, they were caught up with this 12-year-old, his understanding of the scripture, and the questions that even come from that, and then his answers. And I want to suggest to you that is the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. And I know he's not mentioned here. But what I want to reveal is Jesus Christ's dependency on the Holy Spirit. He's our example. And our dependency must also be on the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that indwelt Jesus indwells us. If we have not the Spirit of Jesus, we're none of His. And it is of that same Spirit that this fleshly Jesus, this man Jesus who has this human body is depending upon. And it says, boy, everyone who heard him was amazed, 12 years old, at his understanding and his answers. Now, Jesus makes a statement also. In John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And, and, and I want you to really catch this because it's important um, that we hang on to this. Um, that we help to see, we hope to see that being born from above that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit and that we are there to be used of the Holy Spirit when we are born from above we don't really know how it happens you cannot really explain the new birth, but the evidence of it should be very clear in the life of the believer. In John chapter 3, picking up with me in verses 5 through 8, and Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And I want you to really catch what he's going to say to Nicodemus here. He says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless, unless, and that's important. Uh, just don't run by that quickly. Because this is the condition for being in the kingdom of God. And as we would say sometimes, going to heaven. Here's the condition. Unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Unless he is really born, and I think the water is the human part there, but then the Spirit, and some people take the water as the washing and the cleansing. There has to be a washing and a cleansing beforehand. Um, 
the other is the water when a baby is born the woman's water it comes come comes forth for uh, and then the spirit and my focus is more on the spirit than the others but he says has to be born of the spirit this flesh by itself and on its own merit cannot enter into heaven there has to be a transition there has to be something that takes place in our life and he called born of the spirit born from above it has to be a work of the holy spirit involved flesh gives birth to flesh that's all flesh can do flesh cannot give birth to eternal life in a sense or to spiritual life the only one who can give birth to spiritual life is the spirit and he says <clears throat> again flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit the spirit gives birth to spirit to a divine life to a spiritual life to one that is born from above not of this earthly plane and he goes on and he says <clears throat> the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound never you you can see the effects of the wind and you hear the effects of the wind but you don't really know where it's coming from or you can say a north wind south wind east wind you know it's coming from one of those directions but where did it really come from we don't know and he says the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sounds but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going so it is with everyone born of the spirit what you do is this if a person is really born again there should be a life that represents that the spirit of god is at work in this life and there has been a change that is noticeable because the spirit of god affects your life changes your life it is not the same life that you were living before you said that you were born from above if you are living in the same sinful mess that you were living in before you accept the lord jesus christ you're not saved you had the mouth you did what some people told you to do you have some knowledge of god up here but nothing's dropped down into here and you are not really born again if you are born again the evidence of that life is going to be seen just like it is seen if a mighty rushing wind comes through the area it will knock down trees tree limbs it will uproot it will do something you can tell that a mighty powerful wind has come forth if the holy spirit has really affected your life there's going to be some evidence that people can see that the holy spirit is working in your life if that's not a fact if that's not true and there's really no real love for the lord i'm not talking about being perfect i'm not talking about being sinless i'm talking about some evidence in your life that says you love the lord more than you love this world and i understand there's that battle that's going on within us but greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world you're going to battle yes you're going to fall but the righteous man gets up seven times he doesn't quit because the spirit will not allow you to quit 
you will be an overcomer. You will conquer your sin. You will live a life that is honorable and pleasing to God. You will do that. Those are the effects of the Holy Spirit. That you're going to live in such a way that it honors the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not about what you used to be. It's about what and who you are becoming. You're not going to be a person in love with this world and the things of this world and the only things you talk about is the joys of this world and the comforts of this world and the sins of this world and you can't wait for Friday and Saturday night to sin. You cannot live in adultery. You cannot live in fornication. You cannot live with a foul mouth. You cannot live In this world, loving the things of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pleasures of this world. You can't live that way if you're born from above. Yes, there's nothing wrong with people seeing you struggle. But there's a consistency in your life. There's a consistency of walking with the Lord. There's a consistency in being at church. There's a consistency of wanting to do things that please God. And yes, I understand we'll slip, we'll fall, and all that is part of that growing process, just like a child learning to walk. A child doesn't learn to walk without falling. You will not learn how to walk in this spiritual, in this Christian life without some failure and some faults in your life. But greater again, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to overcome. Too many people who are saying that they are Christian have no overcoming power. They are really living in worse condition than what they were before. There's no real love being shown for Jesus Christ there's no real desire to chase after Christ. There's no real desire to be in a Bible study. There's no real desire to learn this word and hide it in their hearts. There is no desire to really serve God and please. Only thing they're after is pleasing themselves and their flesh. And that is not of the Spirit. That is not of the Spirit of God. And he says, you must be born from above. How? By the Spirit. Now, for 30 years, we really know very little about the life of Jesus. We see him when he's born. We see him when he's 12 years old in the temple. Then, is silent from that point until the time of baptism. At 30 years old, he consecrates himself to his ministry. And most agree that at age 30, Jesus starts his ministry. So from 12 to 30, 18 years of not really hearing anything about Jesus. But when we do, we see him going forth to be baptized. Now, if I can say this in this fashion, because the scripture tells us that we have to die to ourselves. You will not overcome sin, overcome anything if you're not willing to die to yourself 
and areas of life. And don't put yourself first there, but you're willing to die to yourself that Christ might be glorified. It's a renunciation of self. And we need to understand that is something that also must take place. That you're willing to renounce yourself. We say baptism is going down, dying to self, and rising in a new life. It's a symbol of that. Jesus, I believe, also uses it in the same manner. To share with the world, in a sense, he's dying to himself. Or he is renouncing himself, in a sense. It was his self-renunciation of his deity or or being God and align himself to come forth out of that water totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit in this ministry that he's going to perform. I know right now some of you are going all over the place. But stay with me. Because we have to, in a sense, renounce ourselves if Christ is going to really reign in us. For Paul says, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ. In order to say that, I have to deny myself renounce myself in a sense say to self you're not reigning in this life it's not about you it's about Jesus it's not about pleasing you it's about pleasing the Lord and that I have to be willing to die to myself renounce myself deny myself and teach myself how to find joy and pleasure in the relationship with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ more so than with relationship of other living brothers and sisters and people I know here. The main relationship has to become Jesus Christ, not my dad and mom, not my best friend, not not ones I went to school with. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the only one who can bring me to that place is the Holy Spirit. That I'm willing to renounce myself, deny myself, and say that no longer is it I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. Now, let's go through a couple of scriptures, and I want to be able to picture this with Christ, in a sense, renouncing himself. Would you go to Philippians 2.6 with me? Philippians 2.6. And I know a lot of those who have studied in seminary, college students, or Bible, goods, Bible students, Sometimes we call this the emptying. Jesus empties himself of all of his deity. But he says, who being in the very nature of God, he is God. He's the very nature of God. Every element of him is God. But listen now did not consider equality with God. He didn't have to grasp for it. He is. When you really know you, you don't have to fight for who you are. You are. If you are the king, you are the king. 
If you're the president, you're the president. If you're this, that's what you are. You are that. And no one can take that from you. No one can take his deity from him. He is, in the very nature, God. He is. But he chooses, when he puts on humanity, he chooses to not function out of his divine power but be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as an example for us. He chooses, just like we have to choose, not to operate out of the flesh, not out of this weekly power that we have or wisdom that we have or knowledge that we have, but we are dependent and we have to choose we have to lay the humanity down and choose to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and I think Jesus demonstrates that for us here that he himself trusted while he was here on earth in this human fleshly body yet being God did not use divine power but used the power of the Holy Spirit to live his life and do everything he did boy that's that's a lot in there but I hope to still show it to you in Scripture. So it says here, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't have to grasp it because he is God. But he chooses to lay to the side the power and what he enjoyed in that position. Just think for a moment. When God came from heaven to earth and put on this robe of humanity, do you know what he left there? Here he's rejected. There he's accepted as God Almighty. Here he's rejected. He spit upon. No one in heaven would spit upon him. Here he's beaten. No one in heaven would beat him. They cheered. They worshipped. They exalted him. He was not called the son of Satan or a child of Satan or the works that he did were of Satan. He was honored and glorified as the living God in heaven. He denied himself of that in order to come here and put on this fleshly garment and to suffer for our sins in the flesh. He became like his brothers, Hebrews says. Now, he didn't have to grasp, he didn't have to fight to be who he is. He knew he was God. But putting on this human form and being an example for us and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, he could not use his divinity because that's the excuse that a lot of us use. Well, he was God. He was powerful. He was mighty. He could do this and he could do that. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same Spirit that was in him is in us. 
And he tells us again and again that made himself nothing. Boy, what is that? That made himself nothing. Now just think about that for a moment. He who is everything in a sense made himself nothing. We who are nothing are trying to make ourselves everything. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Taking the very nature of a servant. Taking himself from the highest position of being the king of kings, lord of lords, god of all gods. Down to nothing. And becoming a servant? One of the worst classifications of life at that time? A servant? And made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. Catch catch that. He is like you and I. And some of you are going to say, no he wasn't, no he wasn't. He was God. Yes, he is God. But he chose to lay the divinity to the side and be totally in his human nature or fleshly body, totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we must be totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit if we're going to live the life that God desired us to live pleasing unto him and being conformed into the image of Christ in his submission and obedience not only to the Father but to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit works through him to do the will of the Father. Remember what Jesus said? I come not to do what? My will, but the will of him who sent me to do the will of the Father, Father led by the Holy Spirit. We do the will of the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ as we are led by the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 2.14, just again, just dealing with this area of Jesus in the flesh, Hebrews 2.14. And we have to see this in Scripture to understand it. That I am to be dependent totally on the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life and the life of Christ. So in 2.14, he says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He did what? He shared in our humanity. He's like us. Don't make him different than you are and credit him with something more than what you have in a sense. If you do, you will use it as an excuse for your sin. But if you are dependent upon the Holy Spirit in everything in your life as he was, you will see a total different life. And what he's trying to tell us here, he's just like we are, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Through the Holy Spirit, death does not become frightening. Death doesn't control you. Why? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, the fear of death, doesn't control you. The Holy Spirit does. And it's the Holy Spirit who quickens life 
to you. He is the spirit of life. What kind of life? The Christ life. It's not the lustful life. It's not the sinful life. It's not the evil life. It is the Christ life. So that by him, by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all, and free those who all their life were held in slavery by their fear of death. He became just as human as we are. And he wants to want us to know that. But also being fully led of the Holy Spirit. Now, come on down with me to Hebrews 2, 16 and 17. Hebrews 2, 16 and 17. For surely it is not angels he helped, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his what? brothers again talking about his humanity he had to be made like us formed in the womb of Mary and come forth like us in every way don't bypass those little words in every way those three words are important in every way he's made like us In every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might take make atonement for the sins of the people. That he might make atonement in this fleshly body, this human body, becoming as what John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God that sacrifice of God that would take away the sin of the world from us. Now, we need to understand that, yes, he's tempted. He goes through the same things in the sense that you and I go through. And, and I know in the people, minds of some people, uh, 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 Jesus didn't look at beautiful women. Jesus didn't. It says he was tempted in every way, but he brought every thought under the control of God, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, we'll try to come up with what we think are temptations that Christ was not tempted with. Now, of course, he's living in a different time period. People are dressing different. There's different. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live a life that is free of being a whore, men or women, from being an adulterer, from fornicating, from being a drug addict, from being someone caught up with alcoholism. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that these things are broken in our life. There's not one of us who are living that has not been tempted in some manner in our morality, in our pleasure-seeking, in our drinking, cigarettes, drugs, whatever you want to name, lying, cussing, that has not been tempted. And he's been tempted. But was found without sin. Now. We need to grasp hold to. Two more thoughts here if I can. The goal of the temptations are to see if. All divine work was put to the side. So in Matthew 3, 
when it speaks about Jesus being led by the Spirit. And then, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 4, it said, Then Jesus, 4.1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. We see those things that he was tempted with, but I believe what he, the purpose of the temptation was to show us that Jesus himself did not use any divine power per se to thwart Satan or to back Satan away. He used the word of God by saying it is written. When we use the word of God and we speak the word of God, God says his word will always accomplish what he desires. It will not return to him void. It will not return to him empty or with no effect. His word is powerful. But the author of his word is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And when we speak God's word and we stand on that word, then we call for the unction or the power of the Holy Spirit to take place in our life. And it is that word of God that becomes the protection for us through the power of the Holy Spirit functioning and carrying out God's word. Jesus is the one who allows us to know that it is the word. Go to John chapter 3 in verse 34. Just go back over St. John. And we're going to have to pick up next week on the Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Not on his own. He, he just doesn't pick up on his own and go into the wilderness to do. But uh, Luke and Matthew, and you know, he's also Martha, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And some translation says he is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. But in John chapter 3 and verse 34. Now, my question to you is this. Is this true or is this false? And sometimes you have to put God's word strictly under that scope. Is it true or is it false? Can't be both. Is it true or is this false? Verse 34, John chapter 3 and verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Is that true? Yes. Jesus said he only speaks what he has heard of his father. Heard from his father. He come not to do his own will, but the will of his father. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives. Now catch this. God gives the spirit without limit. God gives the Spirit without limit. He gives to the Son the power of the Holy Spirit who has rendered, in a sense, his divinity and his powers on taking on this flesh that he will not use his divine power 
but he will only use the power of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to work through him. And the Father says, I give him the Spirit without limits. Without limits. I give him the Spirit. And we're the ones that have to understand that. And he led by the Spirit. Is that true or not true? That he's being led by the Spirit. It is Jesus who makes this statement. And we'll look at it further next week. I can do nothing of myself or on my own. I can do nothing. Is that true? Or is that false? That Jesus can do nothing. And we have to ask ourselves, is that true or false? We'll get further into it next next week. But go over to 519. Just give you a heads up. Now, again, this is either true or it's false. The one in John 3.34, we see Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there, forming Jesus in the womb of Mary. We see him in the temple at 12. It has to be the Holy Spirit at work doing what is being done in the temple by Jesus, answering and questioning and teaching the Holy Spirit. Then in the temptations, as we'll look at a little further next week, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes him into the desert, but also we do not see Jesus using any of his divine power to rebuke or to throw off the things of Satan. It is written. Because that's what we have to use. And we have to use the Spirit of God. That when we speak the Word of God, we're expecting the power of the teacher, the Holy Spirit, to carry out that Word of God and to make the Word of God powerful and effective when we speak it. Go again to John 5.19 asking this question, true or false again? Did God the Father give Jesus Christ the Spirit unlimited? Unlimited to Jesus. Well, we think he's Jesus. He already got the Spirit. He already got him. Yes, in the God person of Jesus, the Spirit, they are there together all the time. In the human aspect of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given. And we'll see that at the baptism next week also as we build up to going into the temptation but in 519 ask true or false and then we'll close here And but it will give you something to think on Jesus gave this answer I tell you the truth now Jesus is speaking I tell you the truth the son can do nothing by himself if he can do nothing by himself, then who is he depending on? Is it true that the Son of God can do nothing? Is that true or is that false? And he says, I can do nothing by myself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And by who in the flesh empowers him to do that? 
you and I in these fleshly bodies? Who empowers us to carry out the will of the Father? It is the same Spirit that indwelled Jesus that enabled Him to carry out the will of His Father, the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in Christ dwells in you and me. He dwells in you. If you are born from above, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And He dwells in me. We are learning how to yield to the things of the Spirit and not to quench Him. We're learning. I'm still learning. And I got this much to learn, and I only have learned maybe this much. But I cannot get past that Jesus said, I can do nothing. By myself. Amen. We can do nothing by ourselves. But being dependent upon the Holy Spirit, we can do a great deal. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, O God, for your loving kindness unto us. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for opening your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you, O God, for deepening our lives in Jesus Christ. Our prayer is, Lord, that our lives would honor him, our lives would glorify him, and that the Holy Spirit might fill us and use us for the glory of Christ. Do the work that only you can do. We are desperately dependent upon you. We thank you and we praise you, for you are worthy to be praised. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our Deliverer. You are our Strength. You are our High Tower. You're all we have need of. You are the all-sufficient God in our lives. Minister to us, Lord. Amen. Well, I hope that, I don't know what happened here at the last moment, but something blanked me off. So, But we're going to end here, and we just want to, I just want to thank you. I, I, I just want to say thank you for the privilege of just sharing with you. May the Holy Spirit share with both of us. And may we learn at the feet of Jesus. See you next week. God bless you. God keep you. Amen.